Okay, welcome back to Hot Take Time with Peter and John talking about watches and all sorts of topics around it. Today, we're going to be talking about the idea of price and how do you set a price and what's too much and what's not enough. And what do you want to say about that, John? Uh, I have a lot of things to say about it. I, I, I think there's there's uh, also a conversation here about, we touched on it in our very first episode, I think, about what it, what even makes a watch worth the value and what what people look for in a in a timepiece uh, is it you know a price is one of those things there's also design there's uh, movement very important uh, even on quartz watches there's uh, brand uh, history prestige and uh, ultimately price and resale is a part of that resale price is part of that broader price discussion I think uh, it's a uh, it's fascinating because I don't know about you but I think for me depending on the price point of the watch my focus is on on one of those pillars shifts quite a lot you know so like at the cheaper range i don't really care so much about the movement um and for me it's all about design and uh is it fun and does it speak to me is it something i'm gonna reach for regardless of the price point and then as the as the price point moves up my focus shifts a bit more towards movement and am i getting value for money in the movement side of things because if we're all honest with each other that's that's kind of where a lot of the intricacy in the watchmaking comes into it right that's a really interesting point i suppose i'm going to disagree with you there but how about we kick this off because i just saw what's on your wrist and so that could create a and you don't know what's on my wrist at the moment no i've been looking at it since <laughs> i sat down and, and other than it's very colorful and oh actually i think i looking at the lugs i think i know what it is is it a mr jones it's a mr jones. okay I, I didn't i couldn't tell by the dial but i can tell by their very distinctive kind of Art Deco style kind of lugs. I, I yeah. don't know. I don't even know what you call it. like wire lug style. I don't know situation. Um, there you go. Very, very cool. Just hand it over. See if you can figure out what, what you would call it. Uh, okay. Firstly, I have no idea what the time is on this. <laughs> um, like actually, literally, no idea. It's flying falcon past little acorn. So I think you find where the little acorn is, and that's With a the sprinkle hours. Of fairy dust along the outside. Yeah. Or, Something I've been mean, also doing my glasses because so I'm at a distinct disadvantage. But this is, I mean, so this is to me, this sits in with the at this price point that I that I think Mr. Jones is at. I don't really care if I'm assuming this is quartz. Yeah, I don't care that it's quartz. I don't care if it's the movement's a very basic quartz movement because the design, execution, uh, case design, and I know they 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 have sort of a kind of a all their cases are very similar. Um, but I look at this and I think this is a lot of fun. And it wouldn't actually matter if, if we're sitting next to a Rolex or another expensive watch. It's not like if you felt in the mood for a fun watch, you'd pick this up over the Rolex. Yeah. Because it, it like the price point for this kind of watch honestly doesn't matter. It's, because yeah. no one at the top end, well, almost no one at the top end is taking the risk and building something fun like this. The only people who are building something like that are like Van Cleef and Arpels and they're going to charge a half a million bucks for it. Oh. But it's going to be this little animatronic. What what these guys do is like paintings and everything. They're going to do with a little mechanical animatronic thing. And I'm thinking this is, I'm just looking at, so John's just handed over. I'm having a look. I haven't got my glasses on, but I don't need them to know this is a Roger Dubois. <laughs> yeah, Roger Dubois. Because yep. it's just like, 
this is like a spinal tap watch. And what I mean by that is they turn it up to 10 and then just keep going. Yeah. It's just very nice. And then when you turn it over, that's where the real magic happens. Yes. So that's so you know, that so is this is the complete nice. opposite of of kind of the 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 Mr. Jones in a way because yep. the dial was actually a very plain black, you know, there's not really a lot going on. You've got to unscrew the pushes. It's, it's a three hundred meter diver, would you believe? <laughs> uh so you know, the, the 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 front has no real nothing really I mean the bezel's big and the case is obviously unique, but the um but the uh you know, but the watch itself is you know, the dial yeah. and all that kind of stuff is not that interesting but the movement you know micro rotor uh geneva seal um you know probably one of the best looking movements i've ever seen in any watch that i've ever owned and mind you i only picked this up yesterday for less used than uh, a submariner would cost like significantly less like a, really like a submariner a new submariner now is 15 grand this was this was well under that, and I mean, like uh, the movement, you can't even compare. Like, there's no comparison point. Yeah, I was with I was at a Red Bar recently, and someone handed me over a Breguet, oh, which they got nice. at a ridiculously low price. And if you looked at the at the front of it, it is amazing. You look at the back, and it's just incredible. Yeah, and then you've the price that you get like Breguet's on the secondary market. Yeah. It's in, it's almost criminal. That is a yeah. gorgeous watch. So I think that ties quite, thank you. So I think that ties in quite well with sort of the conversation about price for me when it comes to watches. And I think it's interesting because I'm not a particularly wealthy or rich individual. Mm. I have a small pool of money that I play around with uh, when it comes to watches. And generally speaking, you know, I have a sort of a couple of revolving slots in my collection. I've got a, some that are obviously that don't move. Um, but then there's a few that are revolving because, you know, th that's sort of like my, those are my play watches, you know, in yep. terms of like, I, I buy weird and wonderful things like this, what did debris and I enjoy it for a while. Uh, sometimes they make it into the permanent collection and then I have one less rotating <laughs> slot, which is actually kind of getting to that point now where I only have one or two. I used to have a lot more, but now I only have one or two rotating slots. So, so, you know, th there's only so many that I can play around with. And, but so for me, value is kind of interesting because, I feel safe knowing that I've got a couple of watches that are at the very worst on a very rainy day. I'll get out of them at, you know, okay. Yeah. And, you know, if I needed to save my skin for some reason, I could. And then I've got these other ones that are absolutely categorically, unquestionably baths. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, you buy a, buy it for, for 20 and you know that you're not going to get more than, 12 on the on the secondary market yeah so. I've, i don't have i don't have any watches that are probably worth quite that much I've, i i've got a couple which are worth a fair bit and i think if i the sold is probably pretty close the J, jlc well funnily enough when i bought that retailer it was 13.8 i think yeah. and now two months later retail was 16.8 really <laughs> yeah, it's insane wow. richmond are big gouging jump. people yeah so with no, with no difference. No, no difference. No... It is exactly the same watch. Wow. It's just... That's it's, a hefty increase. There's been two price rises and they've both been $1,500 each. Wowza. So put that into perspective. That means it's gone up essentially the cost of a Longines Hydro Conquest 
every time. Like a whole, it's gone <laughs> yeah. up a whole Longines Hydro <laughs> Conquest right. twice. And there can be which, an, a new unit of measure. How many Longines yeah, are like, Which, which mind you, is a, is a very good serviceable, like it's a perfectly good watch in its own that's right. right. That's right. The it's price crazy. increase was a Christopher Ward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> twice. I know. It's insane. So, but I mean, so that would do well. I'm, a lot of my other watches might actually be not so much. I'd take a bath. I think if I found the buyer, I'd probably go close to getting my money back. It would just be hard to find a buyer. Yeah. Um, there's not like, uh, I'm trying to think the Dawn boys. Great example. Yeah. Um, Beautiful, independent, beautiful, independent watchmaker. It's a watch in demand. If you wanted to buy one tomorrow, there's like a nine month waiting list. But on the other hand, part of that's because they don't make a lot and there's not a lot of people who want them. So it, it just would be, it would be difficult niche, to Niche shift. market. Yeah. And I've got a whole box there of vintage Alpinas, which I may as well just give away. There's probably no one else in the world who wants them. The the payoff for me but is... But if, if there was someone that was looking for one, there wouldn't be a lot of supply, right? For, no. For and and I've never, I never spend more than a couple hundred bucks on them. Yeah. So I, I've got one that I spent more than a thousand on the the rest is all it's in this weird space of you know the bad news is you can't get your money back really the good news is you didn't spend much in yeah. the first place yeah which is a really interesting tie-up I suppose in a way maybe I do when you were first talking about value and movements and and all that I was thinking I, I, I felt a long way away from you but then I actually think in retrospect if I look at my behavior it's actually much more similar. I'm much more happy to play around, you know. Yeah, I'll buy a, I'll take a risk on a, you know, a 60 year old Alpina that I got shitty photos on Chrono 24. Mm. But it's only 300 bucks. So if it, if I get it wrong, I get it wrong and it's not the end of the world. Likewise with Mr. Jones, you'll have a, a laugh and a play and it's what, I think it was 180 pounds or something. Yeah. So big deal. Who cares? Yeah. Um, but when you start spending 10,000 bucks plus, you become much more careful. Yeah. I think that's a good point as well is that, uh, you know, as a tie into that is that at, at the bottom level, I don't mind buying new 9.9 times out of 10. So if I wanted a, a Mr. Jones or a Seiko or a Citizen, I'm probably not going to spend the time scouring forums, groups, uh, Chrono 24, eBay, you know, Reddit, any of those things to try and find one for hundred dollars off retail because or hundred dollars off the discounted retail that you would be able to get them at the store because i sort of look at it and go well for a hundred dollars i have to deal with a number of unknowns including the quality of the timepiece you know how it's running the person i'm dealing with gets stolen by Ozpost or somebody else you know i have to deal with all of that to save a hundred dollars and yes hundred dollars might be 30 percent of the value of the watch so as a percentage it seems significant but as an overall amount, I would much rather walk into the local shopping center, go to an Angus and Coot or a or a Solaris or, or, something. or something, and just go look. I've found one online for for five hundred. You've got one in the window for seven hundred. Meet me in the middle. We'll call it six hundred. Everyone makes a dollar. You make a dollar, and I could save a dollar, and I get something right then and there. If something goes wrong, I bring it back here and you handle warranty. For you me. pretty much described how I bought all my Seikos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, exactly yeah, that. Because at the end of the day, it's not. But then take this Roger Dubuis for example. I mean, this is an extreme example because it's a. It was at the time a small boutique, high-end independent watchmaker, and we all know that until they break out in like an FP Jean or something like that, that means 
high barrier to entry and a total money sink once you walk out the door. So the ticket on the on the tag when I bought this watch from a local used watch dealer uh, was back in two back in the twenty tens or something was thirty three and a half thousand dollars. Yeah, and they had it on consignment, so our customers consigned it to them for less than a third of that. Really, and that's not even including uh, the margin that they make. So the so the end customer that's consigned it maybe walked away with $10,000 in their pocket if if they're lucky. Let's just hope they got a decent discount when they bought it the first time. Well, right yeah, maybe. But but what, I guess my point is though, at that price point, I'm not going to go look at new. I mean, mm. mind you, you can't get this model new anymore. But hypothetically, I actually went on the Roger Dubuque website to go, oh, you know what? What can I get in the catalog? <laughs> and quite frankly, I can get nothing because yeah. everything's so expensive. The entry-level watch is about... $85,000 Australian entry level and because oh, and now they are no longer independent so they're actually owned by Richmond as of wholly owned by Richmond as of 2016 I didn't know that yeah so they sold off bits and pieces they sold a chunk to Richmond uh, back in the early 2010s or late 2000s or whatever uh, and then they held out and then 40% they sold to uh, another guy that owned Hayek or something another watch brand or watch um, company uh, and then they sold to Richemont in 2016. So okay. Richard Dubuis, no longer independent. Uh, and now they have the price tag like all other Richemont brands, which as we discussed <laughs> right at the start, you know, they're going up 10, 15% yeah. every year. So it's a crazy. really interesting thing though. So it's it's a one way where it is a bit different is it's one of the ways I, I don't think so much about value, or at least not up front. I don't mm. sit down and, and come up with a list and, and put like compare value. But I think when I when I there is something like that go, that goes on with me when I'm looking at a watch, I always have a price point, and, and it's not so much of the watch, but it's just what am I prepared to spend? Yeah, you know, right now I'm thinking, you know, not as in right now, hypothetical. Um, you know, I might be thinking my next watch, I'm after something. Let's just say, do I have to get something like a world timer? Maybe I'm happy to spend up to about 10 grand. That's my budget. What I'll start doing is just saying, okay, so what can I afford? And yeah. I'll start jumping on Chrono 24. I'll be looking for GMT functions, probably steel. And what I'll do is just sort of create this, this list of yeah. what I can get. And then there'll be, well, I'm not going to get that because I hate that brand. I'm not going to get that because it just looks shitty. I'm not going to get that because it looks like everything else I've got. And then the list just gets smaller and smaller. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I just find the one I like the most and I just buy that one. At no time do I ever sit down and start doing like a pros and cons. Or you've got this and you've got this. It's just like I'm just throwing out the watches I don't want until I get to the one I do. Yeah. And then... If it's under the amount that I want and after surviving that battle royale, it's the one I want the most, I just buy it. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Are you saying that you would you define the purchase in this scenario by the functionality that you're looking for? So in this case, World Time or GMT. And then you go there and you filter down by price? No, not really filter. Really, it's just like what I'll say is if I'm looking for, let's just say, if I was looking for a, a world timer and I'm yeah. happy to spend 10K, I'd probably say to myself, there's unlikely to be much because you're just trying to get rid of watches to start yeah. with. Yeah, if narrow you, down the pool. You're just trying to narrow down the pool. 
So I'd probably say, look, if I'm prepared to spend up to 10K, there's probably not going to be much under five that's going to really get me. Yep, yep. And so I'll probably say my list is now going to be five to 10. Okay. And I'll probably also say, eh, someone might go up to 12 and then be prepared to come down. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'll go yeah. five yeah, yeah. to 12. Well, same things when you're looking at cars, right? You go yeah, a little right. bit over your budget because there's wiggle yeah. room. Yeah. And then, you know, there'll be other things where I'll go, Look, if I did go for a gold watch at that price, it's going to be really shitty. So I may as well just get rid of them to start with. Okay. But then it's purely just once you've got the basics, you're you're now in the pool. Yeah. It just comes down to whether I like it or not. Yeah. Um. And so I'm not there sitting there going, oh, this one's got min. It's not going to happen at this price range, but you know, this one's got mineral, this one's got sapphire, this one's in house, this one's not. It's yeah. really just which one do I like the most? Yeah. Um. Which one? adds to my collection it's different to anything else i've got yeah but uh, but you're but, what but i think i guess my question is at that point are you outside of the price and functionality are you kind of open to pretty much everything that could possibly be possible at that price yeah okay. yeah oh and then you start filtering out by things that you find ugly obviously yeah brands that you don't particularly connect with uh you know and then you filter out maybe um you know Colors and strap options, and and you so you're very methodical in the way that you absolutely get down to your pool. We say, well, I'm not. I just walk in. I'd walk into <laughs> a shop or something, even if I'm not prepared to buy at the shop, and I will just just do laps around the store and see what caught my eye. Yeah, uh, I very rarely buy based on function. I definitely buy based on price because, like I said, I don't have the luxury of going. Well, I want to buy a watch today, and I don't care if it's. Five thousand. I don't care if it's fifty thousand. I don't have that yeah. luxury of doing that. Now, quite often, I won't buy that watch. What I'll do is it then just goes onto my list of watches that I'm now watching. Oh, you know, okay. I've got a list now of probably about twenty watches that I'm watching, and then it's a case of which one of those. So there might be a world. You know, if you look at my collection, you know, I collect Seiko Prospects divers. I collect you know sort of travel watches. I collect just crap I like from brands I'm interested in. And then it's really ultimately comes down to at the time where I've got some money and I haven't bought anything for a while, I then go back to say Chrono 24 and say of the watches that are on my list, what's out there? Yeah. What's available? Yeah. Um, and so, so what is a realistic time frame between go to woe for you from when you start looking at your next watch to actually buying your next watch? Ah. Uh, I'm not going to hold you to it. No, no, no. It it does vary a little bit. Um, there was a moment of the, the JLC. Yep. There was... Well, no, actually, there's a really good example. Uh, JLC, three years. Three and years. that was wow. And that was... So you the, wanted a Polaris? I wanted a Polaris. You weren't sure which one? I was confident it wasn't any of the ones they were currently okay. making. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I loved yeah. the Polaris, yeah, but yeah. I said, I don't really like any of the ones they're making. Yeah. But there's a decent chance that sooner or later one's going to come that I yep. do. Yep. So I'm just sort of watching the Polaris line. Yep. And then the blue one came out. I really liked that one, but I wasn't ready at the time. So that one kind of passed me by. Yep. Um, although it's come back now, I notice. Which one? Um, they've, you know, the the green Polaris I've got. Oh, the gradient blue. They've brought back a yep. gradient blue. Yeah, which was a was a limited, limited edition, yep. but now it's boutique only uh, and sixteen thousand eight hundred dollars now. Okay, yep. So sizable. So um, yep. yeah. So I missed that one. Then the green came, and I wasn't going to miss it again. So I was straight down to the the boutique. Yep. So if you looked at it from that point of view, um, you know, frankly, it was three days. Yeah, but that was that was on your radar for years. That's right. I'm sitting here waiting yeah. for that one to come. 
So it was on my radar for three years. Okay, so let's talk about the Polaris for a second. Let's talk about sort of what we were uh, mentioned at the start, which is okay. What what makes a a watch worth mm. the, the value, and and what other elements you appreciate about a watch that you buy? So um, let's think about it from at the at the price point when you bought it, because or actually the question is. At the current price point, if you hadn't already bought it, I don't think I could. Okay, it's just so, it would just you know my little internal elastic would have snapped. Yeah. Like that would have been asking more than I was prepared to sure. pay for a watch. Okay, so that's a, that's a really okay. So so let's focus on that part for a second. I'm assuming that I mean I'm I'm, I'm going to make a call and say that if you could afford thirteen odd thousand on a watch, sixteen odd thousand on a watch is probably not so far out of the spectrum that you think oh my god that's completely uh, impossible oh i would have agonized my- over it for ages i i'm i i think there's something about 15 you okay. know you're, you're halfway to 20 now yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and it's like my brain would have gone oh that's a that's a lot to go okay so you're right would i have made it all the way to the end i don't know but no. okay so so okay so then then let's talk about that uh that fifteen thousand dollar Let's say let's say we have a fifteen thousand dollars ceiling here. Um, obviously, in the world of watches, fifteen thousand is a is a is a significant amount of money, but it's a drop in the ocean compared oh, to yeah. what they could be. So, what do you think? What what for you? Like, what would it take for a watch to push you over that boundary? Like, what oh, element of a God. watch would you go? Like, would it be uh, like you know, for example, I mean, JLC is a very very good brand and very lot of history. But let's say, for example, a uh, a, a Vacheron Constantin, okay, one of the oldest watchmakers. Um, their catalog right now starts well into the 30s, if I'm not mistaken. No, I think you could. And that's actually not a silly thing because at about the time that I was looking at those Polarises, that I wasn't really resonating with, but I knew that there'd be something coming. I was nipping right next door yep. <laughs> and looking at the 56, okay, which I think. At the time, so we're going back a year or two. So it's yeah, probably they were relatively. Now. They were like nineteen. Uh, the three hander. Yeah. No, the three hander was at that point. I think they were about yeah about sixteen. So about the same price. Yeah. As the Polaris is now. right now. Yeah. For the three hander, which mind you, now my understanding is that those are no longer accessible. <laughs> Not, 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 not from a price perspective, but accessible from an ability to walk in and buy one. Yeah. Um. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think they might have, they might have discontinued the three hander. They just only have the complete. Anyways. It, yeah. So, so now it's about was, twenty grand. Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting because you know to ask the question, you're asking the question, you know, what would have tripped me up? Yeah. I was teetering on the edge of saying, well, maybe I do make that jump. Mm. And go for a fifty-six. Mm. Um, a different type of watch, which is a, it's, it's still that kind of dressy sport. A little bit more down the dress line than the sport line. Yeah. Um, it's got a JLC movement, if I remember right. Uh, the base model has a well, it, they're all it part of the really same family, but it actually has a Cartier movement. Oh, okay. I knew yeah. I knew it was a Riche one. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Thing. It's actually the only one in their lineup right now that is not a because I don't think it has Geneva, Geneva seal. seal in-house, technically in-house. Although yeah. you could argue, given that it's all owned by Rich, that's Trump, a whole makes no that's a whole right? other podcast. Yeah, there. yeah. yeah so sure. okay, so we've, we're touching on a couple of things there. So what would it take to make me to jump over? Well, the first thing is 
you know, we're jumping from a great watch brand to a Holy Trinity brand. Yep. So th- suddenly I wouldn't, JLC, great brand, got nothing to apologize for, but it's not in the Trinity. No. Okay, so brand so, prestige. So that, Yeah, so brand yep. prestige would pull me up there a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think as nice as the, oh, that's a really, you know what? I'd have to put the two movements next to each other. I couldn't tell you which is a better movement, the one in the Pyrus or the one in the 56. I think technically your the new Polaris, so the one you've got, yeah. has a technically superior movement. It has better power reserve. I think it's 70 hours yeah. on yours, whereas I think with the 56, it's 40, yeah. 42, very so, ETA-like. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit. Now that I think about it, I'd never actually you, – you put me on the spot and made me think – I just realized just how much weight I would put I would have been putting yeah. on the the Vasher on So let's assume movements let's say movements are more or less more equal. More or less the same. Um the finishing on the fifty six is uh, look, it's better, but is it like five grand better? No, it's not. Okay. It's um you know, at the time I probably would have said resale on a fifty six on a Vacheron would be better than on 90% of JLCs, but not this particular one. The, the limited edition Polaris's have got excellent resale. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really, ultimately, what, about the what was... Fun, what about the fun factor? Oh, that's a really hard one. Um, they're both... They're, they're similar in that kind of dressy sport. They're not fun watches. They're casual. I think they're both bit casual i think the polaris is a more fun dial yes because it's gradient uh, it's yes. colored certainly there's Red a lot point. more going on um more stuff to play with much more stuff to play with yeah. less formal yeah. i think the the every vacheron ends up looking pretty formal yeah so yeah ultimately this is a, it's a fairly revealing conversation in that yeah what was sucking me over that line the vc name yeah ultimately um i think i would have if I'd have made that, I would not make that leap if I'd had the green Pyrus I ended up buying. Yeah. There, I prefer that to the 56. Yeah. Um, so I just wouldn't jump. If I was still, if that didn't exist and I was just looking at the blue, because mm. I've got to keep reminding myself, I'm rem- we're comparing the plain Jane blue yeah. to the 56. Um, yeah, it would have ultimately just been that I could get a Trinity watch. Yeah. And that would that for would not a lot a, more for not a lot more money. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's interesting. So I think so from that perspective. So what we're kind of saying here is that uh, the brand prestige for you is one of the more important things when it comes to the potential to spend more money. Yeah, I think absolutely. Although that's challenging me right now in that I've so I I spent near as damn at 10 on the dawn blues yeah and I, as i'm looking at my collection now i'm actually thinking it's a little bit of now and then type as well now i've got the collection i've got i'm not that i wouldn't buy another 56 that's gone off my list i'm not interested in buying from a big brand i'm actually now kind of looking at some independence something like that roger debris would actually not so much it, it's still a really high-end brand but it's not that well known it's not that no. It's something like that is actually... Although a lot of the kind of the 
intrigue has gone out of it now that it's owned by yeah you know a, a richmond uh style kind yeah. of company. but yeah so now i'm finding myself you know my search is much more full of things like kadoka oh yeah like the octopus like yeah. yeah probably wouldn't do the octopus but they do that mysticum one yeah where it's like the flowers or something yeah or yeah. i could do the skull thing but i'm not skull, sure if i'll yeah. spend 13 grand on a skull watch yeah yeah so i think Okay, so for me, if I was going to think about what makes a watch worth its money for me, I think, like I said, and if we're talking about sort of watches in the luxury watch space, so you know, five thousand dollars and over, I would consider to be luxury. I mean, mind you, any watch is really a luxury yeah. these days, but um, specifically at the five thousand dollar above um, space, I would think that for me, uh, I have kind of two uh, separate. Like I was saying, I've got two sort of separate collecting mentalities at the same time so i've got some watches that are forever keepers and they usually tend to be the more uh mainstream brands like you know rolex or something like that something that you know should push come to shove gun to my head i can you know there's guaranteed i can get out of it i can get out of it right and i hope to god that never happens but you never never know right so and then i've got some that are i've got a couple of slots that are revolving that are more filled with more interesting brands so right now uh, one is a Blancpain 50 Fathoms uh, complete calendar, and then one is this Roger Dubuis. So when I look at in, like, like that space of my collection, I kind of look at that and go, I want the most interesting, most standout, most different watch. So when I go to a watch event with a group of other watch people, I don't want to see another one of the same. Uh, and I definitely don't want to... Like, so maybe I'm okay with seeing another one of the same model, but with a different dial or something like that. But I definitely do not want to have a Samarin on my wrist that 50% of the people at the event might have a form of a Samarin. Uh, and out of those 50% of those people, maybe another 20% has exactly the same Samarin. Yeah, in fact, I... I- I, could, I didn't put it into words at the time, but you know, when I was talking about looking at my collection and thinking about what I would do now, I wouldn't buy that. You know, I wouldn't be spending that Vacheron. I wouldn't be spending money on a Vacheron. It is exactly that. The yeah. idea of going out and saying, I bought this thing. It's amazing. It's special. It means so much to me. Oh, it's the same as the other six yeah, people yeah, sitting exactly. at the table. Yeah, yeah. It's special to all of us. Yeah, and, and, and look, the thing is like, it doesn't mean the watch, there's, there's nothing wrong in that scenario with the watch. The watch is the watch. It doesn't matter if 100 people own it or one person owns it. Um, the watch is unapologetic for what the watch is. But I think as, 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 as a collector for us, and I think it's like the same in any collecting hobby, you don't want, you kind of don't want everything that you collect to be what everyone else has already collected before you. And I think it's a part of that being unique, being different, that really appeals to me. So I know for a fact that I could walk into, I mean, in fact, I was looking at, I was looking for Roger Dubuis Facebook pages to try and, find other Roger Debris people to, to talk to and there's like two and <laughs> and the biggest one has like 700 members yeah now put that in comparison you look up Rolex there's 20,000 pages yeah and the biggest page has something like 20,000 members or yeah. more so you know so for me that actually gives me a little bit of I don't know satisfaction in knowing that that it's unique and I think a part of that is because it visually is unique. So for me, that's the fun sort of design element. It is different in that sense. Uh, the movement's obviously amazing. The brand prestige, well, it really got has none. Like it yeah. was started in 1995. It's younger than I am, which is <laughs> which is unusual for any watch yeah. brand of, of any significance. 
Um, so it has no real pedigree. I mean, yes, Roger Dubuis himself obviously worked at Patek, you know, very good watchmaker. But as a brand goes, it's kind of like any of those other, uh, like uh, 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 Jean Richard or. Um, well, it's uh, doing better than Jean Richard. That it's, went doing, it's definitely doing better than Jean <laughs> Richard. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, you know, those kind of brands where they've really sort of, they didn't really get to do much. Yeah. Like Gerald Genta, for example, very famously known for designing the Royal Oak and, and, and whatever. But his own, his watch own brand. brand failed. Yeah. But bought by Bulgari just for the brand and they haven't done anything with it. Yeah, it's the occasional limited exactly. edition. That's about it. So for me, I look at that, I look at that part of my collection, I think, the ma- the biggest value point for me there is fun does it stand out uh, and B is is does the movement make me happy when I look at it on the other side of the sort of the stable you know the the the, the stable pieces of my collection I kind of go the other way around and I focus almost like you were saying almost entirely on brand prestige and brand recognition and I'm embarrassed to say this but a little bit of well. I want the thing. I want the watches that in that part that people kind of know and and like you wear some around on the street. You might get your hand chopped off uh, for <laughs> it, but if you if you if you manage to get by that, uh, yeah, it's very recognisable. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is funny how that splits. Interesting question, and and you know we'll get away from branding and everything. That's probably a whole other yeah um, podcast. But this concept of yeah, so. It's not that there's one idea of what's value. It's what you're after. And it's kind of like where I was going. It's It depends. And for me, it's shifted a little bit. I've kind of, between the Dornbluth and the IWC and the Polaris, I'm kind of looking at this going, okay, so I've got I've got a, a couple of watches that don't need to apologize for anybody. Mm. You walk into any place and they're all going to go, that is a cool thing. Mm. Um and so now I feel like it cuts me free a little bit yes. to yeah, just yeah. go next, my next watches, like this year, I'm actually thinking I'm just going to do a year of quartz. I'm okay. going to do oh, a year of okay. a year of like Mr. Jones at the low end. And I don't even have a clue what my, my nice quartz watch will be. Um, but I'm thinking I don't. I don't want it to be the obvious answer. Someone's probably out there listening to this podcast, Grand screaming, yeah. saying, Grand Grand Seiko. Grand Seiko. Yeah, yeah. "It is not going to be a Grand Seiko," yeah. because yeah. that would just be just too obvious. I'm trying yeah. to find something else. I'm not going to do vintage. It's not going to be like some old Beta Twenty One. Could be an aerospace if there's something interesting there. Um, I don't know. I'm waiting to see. Oh, you know the ultimate, I guess, quartz watch. To like for me, thinking about it and. It's a bit of a difficult one because this is this is also budget uh, agnostic. Would have to be the FP Jean. Oh yeah, right. Uh, you know, I don't even know what it's called, but the FP Jean Elegance or something. Elegante or something. Yeah, something with like that. the really yeah. fancy outside my price range. That you know, but but see, there was a, <laughs> that there was a time idea. when those things they couldn't give them away. I remember seeing them listed used for like twelve, thirteen grand, and I remember uh. thinking, looking at a guy. Jeez, that's a lot of money for a quartz watch that isn't really that attractive. Uh, you know, and you could get a 9F quartz uh, Grand Seiko that was more accurate. It, granted, didn't quite have the cool resting mode that the FP Jean did. That was kind of cool. But, you know, you could get a Grand Seiko uh, high accuracy quartz 10 seconds a year for, at that point, 1500 bucks. Yeah, so I, I know. And at the moment, so I'm thinking, this is an interesting space. So now I want to buy something quartz. 
how much am I prepared to pay for it? There's a really interesting thing. I don't really have, there is part of me thinking quartz is going to be cheaper than mechanical. It just has to be. You, right? you, there's a little part of my brain saying it has to be. That doesn't mean it has to be 300 bucks. Hmm. You know, it could be five grand. It could be six grand. But, um, you know, it's then it becomes a case of, well, if I'm not paying that much for the movement, what am I spending those yes. thousands of dollars yes. on? You need something to, to claim back that value. Like the case has to be amazingly yeah. done or the dial has to be super cool. Yeah. Um, so one of the things is for me, if I'm going to spend that much on a watch, it's going to be that the the quartz has to do something that only quartz could do. Okay, it's got to give me something that it's not. It can't just be like we're using a quartz movement because it's super cheap and it lets us spend somewhere money somewhere else. I, that doesn't what about appeal a to me. Perpetual calendar. In yeah. So there would have to be things that the quartz watch is doing something, maybe that only a quartz watch could do okay. i don't even know what that is yet i'm sort of early well, actually, days funnily yet. enough i mean this isn't a high-end quartz but i picked up a used uh citizen aqualand uh pro master thing that has the digital depth uh, yep. gauge in it so to me that is something that only a, i mean it's not even the watch that's not, not even the movement technically that's doing it I mean, not the time telling part of it anyway but that is something that you i mean there are automatic watches that mechanic watches that do have depth gauges in them but most of them are either super inaccurate or they only work down to a certain yeah. most of them only work down to like 90 meters or something like and that. most of them are broken by now yeah correct. unless you get and, them unless you buy them new they're probably yeah. broken by the time and they very get difficult to, to yeah. repair i mean i remember we looked at that uh i think i showed you a picture of that uh, jlc yeah with the with the depth uh, gauge in it which is apparently based around the same technology as atmos clock but the, the dealer, and this was from an actual brick and mortar store, the dealer that was selling it specifically, and all on the, all their other watch, they give you a 12 month warranty, no problem. On this particular watch, no warranty. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is, if that depth gauge breaks, uh, that has to go back to JLC, it has to go, and not even JLC in Australia, has to go back to Switzerland yeah. because they just don't have the parts for it. Yeah. So I don't know what that watch is right now, but what I'm thinking is, and again, it's going to have to be special in somewhere else. It's going to have to do something that it's only able to do because it's quartz. It's going to have to be funky in some way. It could be, and, and that could just be it's ultra thin and really highly decorated. Um, I did see uh, Roman that I was talking to last night showed me some pictures that, that he had of, oh, I can't remember what it was. It was a Swiss watch with a quartz movement. It was super highly decorated, Geneva stripes and all, yeah. which was really odd because he had like the battery in the middle of it with the date written of when he put the battery in on, on felt pen. It was just this really um, strange contrast. contrast. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know what it is, but, so what will I be looking for? Probably some kind of brand power. But then on the other hand, maybe it would be even more fun if it was from someone strange. Mm. Um, but I want something that's got really unusual sort of functionality, maybe some decoration, maybe a fun story about so it. One like a, dis- like, a, like a display back quartz. Would yeah, be maybe a display back quartz. Common. Yeah. So like I said, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. It's going to be a voyage to see what can a watch, you know, how high can I go? How 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 much would I end up spending on that? Um, you could always go 
Breitling uh, emergency. Yeah, I mean, that's that where is, it gets a bit ridiculous. Right? That's twenty grand or something. That and is, that does but then at the same time, that's, does. that's also no, the if you accidentally open it, you've also spent another oh, twenty yeah. or yeah, something. Very so, expensive. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, it's a it's a massive beast very of a big. watch. Fifty mil. Yeah, uh, makes the makes the Roger de Bui look like a toy. That's right. So uh, very heavy. Yeah, so that's going to be, I suppose, ultimately. I don't know what we're going to end up there, but it is making me think about once you kind of take. In a way, you take the whole craftsman movement thing out. Mm. Where will the money go? Yeah, so I mean, I think that's that's interesting. So I think you know, at the very start when we were talking about quartz, you said, "Oh, well, a quartz watch, a high-end quartz watch, must be surely cheaper than a high-end uh, mechanical watch because yeah. the movement has a lot less, uh, generally has a lot less human intervention in it, right? Yeah, uh, it, it's generally at that level, that kind of soldering and all that kind of stuff." Generally gets gets done by a robot or a, mm. or a you know mechanized uh, process. So I guess the question there is, you know, we we were just talking before about an event that you went to last night with uh, our you know with Time and Tide and and fears that the uh, the micro I mean I guess we, we would call them a micro independent yeah. micro brand and the fact that they obviously uh, command a relatively high premium for a for a small micro brand, but they also are in this space right now where they're not quite mature enough to have developed their own movements so they're mm. still using off-the-shelf movements whatever they might be etas leaders etc etc um but they're kind of charging almost similar prices if not very similar prices to the likes of tudor breitling and mm. uh you know some of their more entry-level uh pieces from those brands that do have in fact uh in-house movements like the tudor's um kinesi uh, movements and uh, obviously, Breitling has their uh, shares the same movements as well as the Chronos, etc., etc. So, for me, I look at that and go, okay, well, if they're going to use an off-the-shelf movement because they don't quite yet have the brand, uh, you know, they don't haven't had the time to craft their own and or nor the money, I think that's okay, providing they do something else really well. So, I'm not certainly not saying that you can't have a ten thousand dollar ETA powered watch. Look at Hublot. They've been doing that since inception. Uh, <laughs> They've proven you can. Proven you can and, and, and do it quite well because the majority of people that buy, a lot of people that buy watches don't really care about the movement so much. Um, in fact, I was looking at the Hublot website last night. I found that their new classic Fusion, which is a really nice looking watch, clean dial, you turn it over and it's a Salida movement. Mm. Uh, and it says finished by Hublot. And from what I can tell, the only finishing they did was they put a Hublot rotor on it. Right? There's not even any perlage yeah. on the movement. Anyways, so at $10,000, I kind of look at that and go, well, or $11,500, I kind of go, well, have they done enough somewhere else to make up for that? And in Hublot's case, I kind of look at it and go, well, of any of the watch brands that have has only been conceived in the last few decades, it probably is one of the most recognizable watch, uh, watch designs, right? Yeah. Uh, Love it or hate it, not making any judgment calls there. That's a very uh, subjective opinion. But it's definitely recognizable. So in your opinion, if we look at someone like Fears, uh, do you think that for, for a micro brand that obviously charges towards the premium end, do they differentiate themselves enough to be able to charge what they charge without uh, you know, going to town and making their own movement? I think, I personally think they do. I, I see that there's, you know, there's there's um, 
a cycling expression sometimes when you're when you're following someone and you can't quite keep up and you drop further and further back but eventually the the stress is too much and the elastic snaps and you just go away so i think fears is at that point where that elastic is being pulled off pretty hard yeah for me it hasn't snapped for me and you see this on like forums and facebook groups all the time like who'd pay more than and everyone's got their own number Mm. someone will say i won't pay more than two thousand dollars for a watch that's got an eta movement someone else will say yeah i won't pay more than five and then not a lot of people will pay more than 10 but some people will i think for most people the elastic snaps somewhere between call it three and a half thousand australian and six seven thousand australian yep i don't agree with that and and i'd say that a brand like fears is getting towards the top end of that um a brand that they probably compete with is another one that i've got uh a bell and ross yeah you know they're 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 in that same sort of space um remont will probably be another one remont in that sort of space um and then it comes down to kind of does the fears watch and does the fears brand and does does you know nicholas you know knowing the guy you know does that keep the the elastic intact mm, and mm. still see it for me it does now funnily enough i'm not buying any of these watches because they're not quite my style yeah i actually got to try a couple on last night and it's a little bit small for me yeah a bit quite dressy and it's, it's it's quite dressy i might get there one day i'm my my taste is getting dressier but that's kind of beside the point you can still mm. look at a watch and go not for me but i can understand but it's it. nice yeah but it's not that's like almost every second cartier for me yeah. i look at them and go geez that's a really nice watch i put it on and it's a bit too small it's very very petite and it's not quite my style yeah i, I, I look at pretty much every cartier and say that is going to be a great watch for someone else yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so yeah but yeah so 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 to answer your question does fears do enough to justify its price point i think they do mm. um now it's funny nicholas I, I did an interview once with adrian barker And in there, he actually made the comment that before they're finished or anything like that, just buying from the the manufacturers before they go into his watch, the hands, the two hands he buys for his watch cost as much as the bare movement. Now, some people will just say that is totally out of whack. I am not, I do not value the, you know, the fine finishing on the hands to that level. Mm. Get me cheaper hands and knock the, knock 300 bucks off the price. But then there'll be other people who are happy with that. Yeah. And mind you, the jump from going from buying ETA's leader movements to producing your own in-house movement, even a simple three-hander is not like, oh, okay, well, the Salida cost me, number out of the sky $200 an in-house movement will cost me $300 well no because the cost to produce an in-house movement is hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars and probably years of time yeah I think it depends a little on who you are and and so like if you're Tudor with the you know going out and co-investing with another couple of people in Kinesi with the Rolex Willsdorf Foundation with its, you know, tens of billions of dollars of Infinite cash money. behind yeah. you. Yeah. You could sort of, you can spend that money and you just don't care. Yeah. You know, you can recoup it over the next 20 years. Who cares? Yeah. You know, that's very different to some brand that's gone out and had to like sell two thirds of themselves to be able to Correct, yeah. do it or something. Yeah. So And I they think- still have to 
And during the time that development is happening, they still have to sell watches to yeah. keep cash flow going. So it's not even that they, it's not like they can pull all resources off the, the making of existing watches and just start making new movements or working on new movements. They have to actually, I mean, you know, there's, like take Breitling, for example, um, a huge independent watchmaker. Uh, well, they're owned by VC, but I think we can call them independent for now. Um they went and spent a lot of money building the BO1, uh, the chronograph movement. Yep. Um, but then they didn't. Act- they haven't actually thought. I mean, not yet. I know that, that there might be some works going on there. But you know, they thought for now the best thing to get a uh, a higher quality non ETA movement was actually to uh, basically buy the Kinesi three hander mm. because you know the effort to to produce a three hander in house movement probably outweighed the benefit of doing it for yeah, now. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. There's that's a really interesting example you give because there was a story, one of the watchmakers, there was a watchmaker there last night, um and that was talking about that exact thing. Um about Breitling and and in-house movements. And we were talking about how Breitling got sold by the Snyders. Mm. And they were saying one of the their intel was that one of the major reasons why Breitling had to get sold, the Schneider family had to sell them, was because they bet the farm, not on the B01, but on that Chronoworks super high-tech. They did this really high-tech, super high-end, all silicon, ceramic. that had like a ceramic back plate, wow. um, 120-hour power reserve, all sorts of things. Back in about 2015, it was going to be a forty thousand dollar watch. Wow! You see them on the on Chrono 24 occasionally. What's it called? Um, Breitling Chrono Works. Um, it bankrupted them. <laughs> it 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 destroyed the company. It left them with no money. It meant that for them to keep the doors open, they had to. Teddy Schneider had to sell to um, to uh, to CVC. I've also heard that the reason why um, Frederick Constant had to go to Citizen is because they bet the farm on that new silicon escapement. Uh, you know that weird one they brought out oh, the monoblock. The monolith. Yeah, apparently that's that they bet the farm on that, and wow, they okay. they ran to the point where they had to go to Citizen and get bailed out. Yeah. Right. So I think there's even these really big companies. Um, if they want to invest in something that really moves the ball down the field, you know, they don't want to just take an ETA and then bring it in house, change yeah. a few parts and then reproduce it. That can be really expensive. Yeah. And, 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 and like I said, the, the, the payoff for that sometimes is not particularly great because even amongst, you know, I would say relatively seasoned watch collectors, there's still a significant chunk of them that, that don't, particularly care so much about the movement so therefore if the movement isn't the designing factor for someone to buy a watch then you know the question does need to be asked well what do you need to spend all of your money capital ability time on producing it um and to the point where you might drive the rest of your business to detriment i do find myself thinking i wonder if oris knowing what they know now would still make the caliber 400 how many people do you see buy that watch and when you see them for sale they're anything that's with that 
the new movement is selling at huge discounts. Yeah, I see. The, Aorus is actually an interesting brand to me because I mean, obviously they're an independent, um, uh, famously an independent. Um, they've held out, you know, for a long time. Um, they make a, a wide range of very nice um, uh, timepieces, um, and the Aorus four hundred movement, I actually quite quite enjoy. Um, I think it's a it's a really nice movement. My, I think where they've kind of stuffed up is that they haven't quite decided which segment of the ma- the market they want to play at. Because you look at for every single, well, not for every single, but for almost for their main Aorus four hundred uh, equipped line, so the Aquas um, and the pointed the new pointer date, um, there is a Salida version to go along with it. So if you put them side by side, you go, okay, I can have a Salida for a shade over $2,000 in the pointer date, or I can get the 400 movement for, it's like 6,000 or yeah. whatever it is. About four. It's almost, it's almost a hundred percent more. Right. And you start thinking, well, actually does that, I mean, five days powers are very impressive, you know, very, very impressive. Uh, the finishing is a bit utilitarian. So, you know, that's not particularly impressive, but five days power reserve and 10 year warranty extremely impressive okay put that on the table kudos to auras they've gone and done something that almost none of their competitors in that price range can actually do i mean the only other watch that I, that i know of that has that kind of power reserve you'd be looking at a blanc pan 50 fathers you'd be looking at a iwc uh mark mark 20 uh you know getting yeah. close to there to 100 hours or whatever it is so but those are all They're significantly eight, more expensive nine thousand right? dollars significantly watches. more expensive but kudos to auras but the issue is you really need to be a movement lover to walk in there and go, I will take the 400-powered uh, Aquas over the Salida-powered Aquas for double the money. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think, in fact, I've been thinking a little bit about that because there's been a lot of talk around on other forums and other podcasts about the this idea of that everyone loved the, the caliber 400 they loved that that it existed but no one seems to want to buy it no one's pay for and it. no one wants to pay for it yeah even the people that are all cheering on RS for doing it don't want to pay for it yeah and then that's where an interesting one because we're we're all really comfortable talking about oh I'm not going to pay sort of the elastic snapping because the movement wasn't good enough but I think there you're seeing an example of the movement got too far ahead of the rest of the watch. Yeah. You know, you can't help but look at a big pointer or the pointer date or something like that and, and have in the back of your mind, it's only a $3,000 watch. Yeah. Um, the movement, putting the big movement in it doesn't suddenly make it a $5,000 no. watch. And, and they should have, I think what they should have done is either kept the 400 movement for a limited editions or for precious metal versions or something where your baseline cost is already going to be higher, right? No one's expecting a precious metal watch to be the same price as a, yeah. a steel watch. So you know, obviously precious metals are more expensive and there's probably enough margin in them in the, in there to go, okay, well, we can also sneak in a 400 movement for only a few hundred dollars more and no one's going to notice. I'll give you an alternative right? strategy. And I'm, I'm guessing here, but I, I, I feel like it's what Breitling is doing. Because Breitling, to be honest, I just paid seven grand for a, a Salida powered um, Super Ocean, yeah. um, and that watch is only a couple of a 
couple of hundred dollars cheaper than the Kinesi powered um, uh, Super Ocean Heritage. Yeah. My feeling is that what Breitling is doing is saying people have a sense of how much a watch is worth. Yep. You know, it's a $2,000 watch for an Oris. It's a $5,000 watch. What they're doing is they're actually creeping up the price before they do the movement. Okay. And so they're getting you comfortable with the idea that the Super Ocean is a... They got you comfortable with the last one, that the Super Ocean was a $5,000 watch. Yep. They're getting you comfortable with this idea that the... And to be honest, Tudor kind of did the same thing when they introduced the Kinesi movement. The price only went up a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. They got you comfortable with the idea of that's what the watch is. They've already is. tempered your expectations. They've already tempered your expectations. Yeah, yeah. And then when they put in the watch, which when they put the movement in, that probably justifies what you're paying. Yeah, yeah. You true. feel like you're getting a bargain. Yeah. yeah. So I think what Oris probably should have done, because they would have been working on this movement for how long? Probably something of this caliber. I mean, I call it. Let's say five years on because the numbers are round. Yeah, let's just say five years. What they probably should have said was, "This is coming. At this point, we need to be able to sell a five thousand dollar watch or a six thousand dollar watch. How do we get the pointer date to be a six thousand dollar watch? And they just creep it up for four or five years." still selling it with a Salida movement, still having to grit their teeth when they hear all these people say, I won't pay that much for a Salida. Yeah. But in the end, instead of making a 50 or 100% price jump, it's a 15% price jump, but hey, we give you this amazing movement. And everyone's got used to the idea of spending three and a half, four or five grand on, a, yeah. on an Oris. Yeah, and I think it's quite, int- I think this Oris example is, very, is really quite interesting because it definitely does highlight, you know, the pillars that we're talking about when it comes to is a watch worth, you know, brand prestige, you know, design, value, uh, movement, etc. Uh, it's interesting because here you have the same brand, so the brand prestige is the same, the design is pretty much the same, um, the value, and so the only two things that are separating them is basically the movement and the corresponding value. Yeah. And like you say, I don't think people are flocking towards the higher priced, better movement watch because I think most people would look at that and go, well, I'm getting, in my mind, I'm getting 99% of the same thing for half the money. So that makes sense to me. You would have to be like a really diehard horology enthusiast or or movement aficionado to go, well, actually, I would rather pay double and get the one with the better movement because – that is what I'm looking for in this watch at this price point. Never really thought about it, but the Oris is actually a fantastic like economics experiment. Oh, you yeah. get on the forums and ask people and they basically lie to you and they say things like, I'm happy to spend more for the better movement. But then when you get them into the ADs and make them and make them pony up the cash, they'll go for the cheaper movement yeah. every well, single they'll, they'll time. Be like, well, yeah, so I spend more, but but like only <laughs> a couple much. hundred bucks. But 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 this is the thing. I mean, coming back to I mean, we come kind of come back full circle to the fears thing, which is that you know I kind of started this you know, when we sat down before we started recording. I kind of was like, oh, you know, fear is so expensive. Get get a bit of movement, right, your muttons. But then now I'm thinking about the Oris <laughs> example. I'm actually thinking, well, hold on a second. <laughs> Right, because this is the kind of money that you need to charge when you've sunk millions of dollars into R and D into a movement that, for all intents and purposes, and for the majority of people, does the same thing as a two hundred dollar off the shelf movement that you just put a red shiny rotor on, yeah. right? which is what Oris does essentially. And I kind of think about that now and go, you know what? 
Fears shouldn't <laughs> go and make an in-house movie because they're already successful at the yeah. price point they are with the movements they have. And if they had to double those prices to sneak an in-house movement, I think that would be the wrong thing to do because not only would that mean the price is astronomically high for, 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 for a brand in that place, but it also means that you know, the people that genuinely love the brand aesthetic and love yeah. the dials that they do, the designs that they do, may, and I'm not I'm not casting aspersions on people's wealth here, but they may find themselves priced out oh, yeah. if they moved up into a whole different price bracket because they've put in a three-hander that, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of looks like an ETA, but just has mm. slightly different bridging or, bridging or different decoration or something like that. Because at the end of the day, I mean, how much more innovation can you really put into a three-hander movement? Yeah, not a huge amount. Mm. And I reckon at that point, we've probably been talking long enough and, and got, yeah. gone full circle. We've talked ourselves from the point of view of maybe they should be doing more. And by just teasing out the ideas of, well, where would the money go? What do we actually value? What do we see people where they actually spend money? It's funny, you turn around and end up in the place where you know these guys that are running watch brands and they're having to actually make money? They normally make fairly sensible decisions. Mm. The watches are costing what they do. And, and if the watches are selling, they probably got it about right. Yeah. And maybe that's at the back of my mind sometimes. When people are you know yelling at the screen and shaking their fists and they're saying this watch should cost whatever maybe we should all take a bit of a chill pill and say the people running the brand sitting in front of the spreadsheets, the ones who have to pay the bills and not, and actually have to like, they've got skin in the game. Mm. They've probably, they're not probably completely ignorant of what yeah. this watch should cost. Especially if they've got, if they've lasted more than a year or two. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think the watch market, any market really is very unkind to products that are priced incorrectly perform you know perform unwell um or look ugly yeah and if you have a trifecta of those three things you're definitely not making <laughs> right. so, so my message to like the forum warriors out there who reckon that they know best and that other people have mispriced their watches start a watch brand yeah, yeah. come back to me in two put years time put your money where your yeah. mouth is until then you are just shaking your fist at the air and screaming at the at the tides yeah. you know? the rest of us will continue to buy them because <laughs> yeah. we like them that's exactly right so i think we pretty much wrap up about there any last words no i think um probably the only thing i'll say is just buy what you like and don't worry about little things that really don't affect your enjoyment of of the watch you know when you're wearing hey, and my only advice is buy what you want but be really honest with yourself about mm. what you want yeah okay and on that note we're going to wrap this up i will see you in another week there's thanks, not guys. much else to say thanks right. guys thanks guys see you next time